game is so beautiful, you know. Come play. The page Jump. dynasty Jump. is the newest Jump. rage. Maybe you've played, Jump. maybe you've Jump. made a trade. Made list, and now these fish Jump. are all up Jump. on you. I mean, you won three ships, Jump. they wish they Jump. had your So, this is it. Jump. You want to learn the game. Dynasty. 101 Jump. pick when Jump. it hits, you Jump. feel no pain. Praying for the fantasy Jump. championship. Dynasty. Hit the books, Jump. kid. Read Jump. this pamphlet Jump. called the Dynasty o o Owner's Manual. <laughs> It's automatic D dynasty. It, it's automatic owner's manual. It, it, it's automatic D dynasty. It, it's automatic. <laughs> and here are your authors: C Chris Allen and A A Adam Wildy. All right, everybody, welcome back, and it's going to be episode nine or episode eight, part two, however you want to look at it, uh, because we have Peter Howard back with us again tonight, and again, as we talked last week, we got more into some of the projections and the work that Peter has done for uh, for DLF, uh, but this week, we wanted to kind of switch tactics instead of looking at quarterbacks and some of the metrics associated with them, we're going to get into some of the wide receivers, and again, you can find Peter on Twitter. Uh, and also at DLF, and is also the creator of the uh, post-draft 2018 catch report, which is available at ffstatistics.com. And we uh, we talked with Addison Hayes about uh, with him about that website a couple of weeks ago. So kind of all coming full circle. So again, thanks again to you, Peter, for coming tonight. So how you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to be asked back. I guess I didn't do such a bad job last week. I'm really excited to be talking about wide receivers draft class in particular because um, I think it has the potential to be better than a lot of people think, but everything's relative, so <laughs> we'll get into it. Right. I, I think that's the big thing is that uh, after this draft class, I think after the combine, a lot of folks were looking for, I think they were looking for some of those like fabled like wide receiver draft classes of old where we got, you know, like the, the Sammy Watkins, the Odells, I mean, some of these like great prolific uh, wide receivers. And we just didn't really get that in this class, but that's okay. I think there's a lot of utility uh, in some of the receivers that we got out of this class. We just have to do a little bit more digging, you know, to try and find out what some of their, you know, what some of their positives are, what some of their, you know, ancillary characteristics that might be an asset to their team are. And I think that's why we brought you on again tonight in order to talk about it. So let's just go ahead and dive right into it. Uh, Peter, uh, again, we were talking last week uh, with some of the advanced metrics that we've seen on uh, on Roto Underworld, uh, some of the, again, advanced metrics that you use there. But one that caught my eye when I was going through the, the wide receiver report, and I've seen it on Roto Underworld as well, um, is breakout age. I've heard Matt Kelly, uh, the podfather himself, mentioned a number of times on his show and I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to understand I guess what are what are the what's the criteria for for breakout age? Yeah, breakout age is um, one of the most useful metrics or statistics or whichever label we actually apply to it for wide receivers. It's uh, the only thing that really comes close to draft capital by itself. And basically, uh, wide receiver is broken out when he produces 20% of the team's combined yards and touchdowns. And then the year, the age he is when he does that, we say that's his breakout age. And you can calculate the age at the start of the season. So if they're 18 when the season starts or if they're 18 when the season ends. I, I use the start of the season, which I think is a little unusual compared to um, some people I've spoken to on Rotoviz, for example. They like to use the end of the season. I don't. <laughs> I just, that's just the way it, it work, my mind works, I guess. I want to know how they were when they started. Um, but that's an important little asterisk to put on there that my numbers might look a little different than some others because of that. So, Peter, there's a couple players that I'm a big fan of in terms of their values, and that's James Washington, who used to be my wide receiver one very early in the process, and then Trey Quinn. Now, Washington broke out at age 18, while Quinn didn't break out until age 21. Now, I understand that there's the big gap in these two players in terms of ability, but with breakout age alone, what does this matter to you? Breakout age means a lot to me. Um, I mean, my process is evolving, right? We try to add to it and get better and learn from every successive year. And breakout age has become a big focal point of my wide receiver evaluation, especially this year, but really starting last year. Breaking out at age 18, based 
typically means you're more likely to break out in the NFL um, to any success level, whether it's uh, catching a 1,000 yards or becoming a top 24 wide receiver or being a top 36 wide receiver or having 150 fantasy points in PPR standard or half-point PPR, no matter how much I'm, how I measure it, you're more likely to do that if you have an age 18 breakout than any other statistic we can point to coming from the college season uh, outside of draft capital by itself. And so the fact that James Washington broke out at 18 is actually really important. And now, of course, we also take that a step further and look at the context, which is where James Washington gets a little more tricky, I think. Now, building off of that and getting new or like I'm newer to Dynasty, one of the things that I've always stuck to is always about it's always about age. Like we always try and focus on on age and looking for production at an early age or trying to get some of the younger players so that we can continue having that production like later on in their career. So tell me why I'm wrong or if I'm wrong in assuming that if I'm looking at two receivers and they're fairly similar in value, going with the younger guy, is is that typically the best way to go about making the tiebreaker between those two? Yeah, I, I'm, I ignore age as much as possible. I know I was just talking about the importance of breakout age, but to me that's um, a very different thing. I don't think the age a player is is relevant at all, to the point that when we do value it, we tend to overvalue it, and therefore it takes away any benefit that it might have. Right, um, we continually stock the top ends of our ranks with younger players over older players, and just hope to get that production next year. So, and that's not a good way of winning, and that's not a good way of winning next year either. So, I tend to avoid age. And when we're talking specifically about rookies, it is important to distinguish between breakout age and the age at which a player enters the season. There is actually a significant signal between the age a player is when they enter the season and how successful they are or how likely they are to be successful in the NFL. But I think that's noisy. I think we're capturing some of breakout age looking at the age they are when they enter the NFL, but not enough of it for it to actually provide solid results. And when I test the two, like the age they enter the season and the age they broke out, breakout age wins hands down. It's like twice as predicted or twice as correlated to uh, different levels of NFL success. So while age can be important, I'm not saying ignore it. I'm saying generally lean on the side of not worrying too much about it because I think we tend to overvalue it in every way, in dynasty and redraft and, and everything else. So, um, no, I don't think you are wrong at all. I think you're definitely, your head's in the right place to not worry about age as much as what a player has done before, the context around them, or the situation they find themselves in heading into next year. So you would say you would value almost production or their past production over specifically what age there is, unless it got into, let's say, if a if a you know if a rookie was twenty four or twenty five years old coming into league versus a player that's twenty one, twenty two, you know, something that would be a little bit more of an extreme case. Would those be one of those situations where you might look at might look at the age difference there, or how would you value those two in that case? Yeah, that's a great point. And we've had several recently, like Cooper, Cooper Cup came into the league at a fairly old age, and so did Kenny Golladay last year. Calvin um, Benjamin as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he's bad. So <laughs> right. stick with the uh, two that were good. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. Older wide receivers do have this trend uh, when they enter the NFL of being not as good as younger wide receivers. But I think we're capturing some of that production and some uh, inherent in breakout age with the age they enter the NFL. And so I think it's just fogging up the picture, if you will, on a broad basis. And again, you have to look at every wide receiver in particular, specifically look at their context and the situation to read more about what they could do or their likelihood of success. But in general, um, I would fade age. I would definitely lean production. I think Chris said it better than I have so far, so I'm just going to steal what he said. I would lean production always over age, or pretty much anything else. I mean, it, it makes sense. I know as someone who talks about numbers or gets labeled as an analyt- analytics guy, that it might sound silly to say something that is so common sense, but what a player has done on the football field is a lot more important than anything else. If they're good on a football field, they're probably good, right? Or they have a more likely, uh, a higher likelihood of being good 
Um, and so always fade towards production and away from everything, um, an age especially. Now, Peter, in reference to Breakout Age, I've had this conversation with Carl Saftrick numerous times, and I wanted to get your opinion on it while you were here. Um, if you have a win-now team, it feels as though these very late breakout players, which is why I brought up Kelvin Benjamin earlier, um, are the type of players that you want to grab now this year that would be Calvin Ridley, would be, or not not in terms of breakout age, but in terms of his um, actual age. These older players are the players that are going to come into the league and be productive pretty early on, right? But then you might be able to flip those guys early, which Carl Safchik was trying to tell everybody from my recollection to get rid of Calvin Benjamin after year one. And then we learned that Calvin Benjamin isn't very good at football, but he was one of those older players with an older breakout. Um, so looking at Hayden Hurst maybe this year, what do you think about those older guys coming into the league as being early contributors on maybe a win-now roster, something that you would want to target? Going to put tight end aside for a second because I have very specific thoughts on tight end, and I'll, I'll try and circle back to it if I don't forget. Um, and Hayden Hurst in particular is this really particular and I think unusual case even for that position, but um, he was like a baseball star, wasn't he, before he... Sort uh, of, anyway. yeah. He got the yips. He couldn't. Uh, he got too nervous to throw anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, in terms of wide receivers, I think that's a very good thought process. And throwing out Calvin Ridley is definitely a very good way of looking at that. I have a, a conflict with Calvin Ridley in that he has a late breakout age, as you mentioned. He broke out at age twenty, but he also did it the first year he stepped on the NFL field. I have also tested the year a player is playing in, so freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior compared to age, and freshman, sophomore, junior, I don't know what to call that. Is that the year name or college year? I don't know how to distinguish that. Okay, rather than age. So I've tested college year against NFL success and compared it to breakout age compared to NFL success, and the difference is night and day. It's not predictive too predictive. So the fact that he broke out in his freshman year doesn't matter to me at all. Now, what it does do is put him in this unusual class uh, of a very, very small sample size. There's like 16 or so wide receivers since 2000 drafted in the first round of the NFL draft with an age 20 breakout age, but didn't play at age 18 or 19. So this is really small group of players, and that means I can't really trust it. What I can say is more players in that group busted than succeeded in the NFL. But I was recently having this argument with Jake Anderson, NFL draft talker on Twitter, and he kind of held my feet to the fire on this. He's like, you can't use past history and argue about sample size all the time and then say Calvin Ridley is more likely to bust than succeed with this very small sample size. So the film guy just absolutely roasted me on analytics, <laughs> which is where we where, where we absolutely find out that there is no such thing as one thing or the other, right? That guy's good in all phases of Dynasty. And he's right. I still want to slide away from Calvin Ridley because of that late breakout age, but it's more a case of trying to stick into a process and not believing that I can see a story, why a player broke out at age 20, and know objectively which one means that I can ignore his breakout age. Because I'm trying to apply it to a vast body of wide receivers as a process from now and moving forward. Now, that sounds a little high-minded, I get it. So I'm not going to avoid driving drafting Calvin Ridley, but I am going to slide in behind other wide receivers like DJ Moore or Christian Kirk. Now, to your point that you actually asked me, um, older players tend to have a better shot of producing because they are more developed, which is also kind of the worry with a late breakout age. We've seen them at their best at a lower level of competition, and they did well, but they don't have as much room to grow because they were more developed. And that's what I think is happening partly as well. So I, I, I definitely like your thought process here that the older players might be, you might be able to get production out of them earlier and then flip them um, or keep them just because you like them or whatever. But generally it's about the player. And you have to go into the individual player to really to make that decision. But I definitely like your thought process there that more developed players because they're older and so they've had more practice and more physically developed, if nothing else. Um, are more likely to return early value. But in general, wide receivers, not to say the same thing, everyone everywhere is going to say 
don't draft the rookie wide receiver and then forget you have him, right? You're not going to, you can't bet on having production from. And that's great that you brought that up with the more developed physically because that's where the argument always goes for us is that these players may have broken out at that later age because they were developed more physically playing against 18-year-olds who just graduated from high school in some situations. So that could steer you in the direction of drafting this player early because they just came off a very productive season. Then they're going to be proportional to the NFL and maybe do well early on. Then you're going to want to look at flipping those guys with the late breakout age. So we've just discussed breakout age. Now, next thing that we wanted to talk about is market share. So now we've talked about how we're evaluating these guys coming into the NFL. We want to evaluate them now that they're in the NFL. So could you explain to us first what market share is and then secondly, what market share means for a specific player? Yeah, of course. I'm going to try and make this sound exciting because I'm worried I may breakout age sound boring. And if you think an 18-year-old stepping onto an field with these jacked-up college players that have got four years of experience and could kill someone like me just from playing gently, uh, and then dominating them isn't exciting, then I'm not explaining it well enough. But breakout age and market share are interconnected, right? Like I said, um, breakout age is owning 20% of a wide receiver's yard, uh, of a team's yards and touchdowns. So it's 20% of the market share. So to put it in non-junky terms, it's the percentage of the team's production that the wide receiver or the player actually produced. So if a team has a 1,000 receiving yards and a player catches personally 200 receiving yards, that means they had 20% of the team's yards. It's, that's all it is. It's just the percentage of. That's what market share is. And um, we use market share because we get bored, so we use different words, I guess. But yeah, it's a share of the market, which tries to make it sound more technical than it is. Really, it's just a percentage of. And that makes yeah. sense. Uh, but when it comes to market share, I, I know it's something that a lot of folks would, at least they would covet that. Like if you're looking at a, at a wide receiver or just any pass catcher or I guess any, any skill position player that has a significant market share of his team's offensive output, that would be something of, of note. Because I'm sure as you, you would agree that just saying that a player had over a thousand yards, uh, the counting stats, while they're great for descriptive purposes, putting that in context of the rest of the team's output is a little bit more, I guess it's more of an ineffective tool to describe how they did within the context of the rest of their team. But has there, have there been cases where looking at just market share by itself has been kind of misleading? Because I believe like Laquan Treadwell is one of the, I guess, one of the biggest cases that I can think of, or the one that comes to mind the most as a receiver that produced well in college, and then we haven't really heard much about him since he went to the Vikings. So, I mean, is are there other cases, or is he kind of like the poster child of misleading market share numbers, or how would you put that into context? Yeah, the, the, that's a really great point. It's all about context. Counting stats don't relate well to, like, a catching so many receiving yards doesn't correlate to catching so many NFL receiving yards. And so what market share does quite literally is try to put it in context by isolating that team. The way I've been trying to describe it is I'm no longer interested in what a player does well at the college level. We just can't use that to project them into the NFL. There are too many variables, the college team they're on, the surrounding cast, the division they play in and everything else. So what we're really targeting with market share is what that team thought of this player. If this team thought this player was worthy of 30% of their targets, he was a workhorse for a wide receiver position, right? Now, they could be stupid, frankly. They could be giving them 30% of those targets because they've got no one else or because they can't make a good decision, which is always possible. But in general, we're trusting in the team, or at least we're trusting in these numbers tell us what the team thought of this player. Now, Trevor is a really great example, and it's going to sound like I'm just listing off the big hits, but this is why I say it correlates well. It's not just Trevor. It's actually also Mike Williams showed some very worrying signs in his market share in his last season after his injury. There's also Corey Coleman, Josh Doxson. The players who have not hit, the ones in the last four years, have had later breakout ages and not bad market share numbers for every age, 
but they've been good market share numbers later in their seasons uh, and not as impressive as the market share numbers from, well, just take a player, players like Calvin Johnson or players like Golden Tate or players like Emmanuel Sanders. So that's literally what I'm trying to describe. Those players who are not hitting for you, they are fitting this archetype of a player that has done great things with counting stats and sometimes decently with market share, but it's drastically different to successful players in the NFL. Does that make sense? Am I explaining that one well? Yeah, that, that does make some sense. But I guess out of the out of some of those players that you just mentioned, I guess the one that really caught my attention was Mike Williams because I guess the assumption is that coming into this year with Hunter Henry being out, I mean, Mike Williams is going to be pressed for quite a few targets, assuming health and whatnot. So if that is the case, let's say he's ready to go week one, what is it about his profile, or do you know of any specifics that were about his his profile, either coming out of college and then his limited time in the NFL, that would at least give you pause? Yes, a lot. In fact, I was advocating for Mike Williams being a reach in the first round of the NFL draft, not someone you should target in the first round of rookie drafts. And again, since I'm telling you that afterwards, it sounds like I'm just <laughs> putting a pin <laughs> in something that worked, which is basically all I did. <laughs> no, um, it was experimental, uh, if that's the right word, in that there was something in his market share that I definitely noticed before rookie dress took place that made me say that before it happened, which gives me some level of confidence, but also I'm risking confirmation bias. So let me just start from the beginning with Mike Williams. Mike Williams was awesome. I mean, absolutely awesome in college. Not DJ Moore awesome, but pretty awesome. He was dominant at age 19 and significantly so in market share and breakout age and everything else. But after his injury, which I believe was in his age 20 season, he didn't play obviously the next year. And then he came back, which also leads him to being an older player when entering the NFL, which again, that's part of why we get that noisy stat from that particular column. But looking at his breakout age, it tells me he's definitely good. The breaking out at 19 is definitely a good sign, and he was far above the average of successful NFL players at age 19. Something I've done is calculate the average market share at each age of every wide receiver in the NFL since 2008 to have at least 150 points in PPR scoring. And that just gives me some sort of baseline to compare a player to. And that's the baseline I put on all the graphs and stuff I put in my articles and also on Twitter. And it's also available in the database I've got on Google Sheets so that anyone can look at. So he was good. Then he was injured. And when he came back, his counting stats were good. I forget actually what they are because I, I don't pay as much attention to him. But he still got over 20% of the team's receptions. But something I noticed in that last year was he barely crested that in yards. And that was unusual to his previous season. So you've got this player. And so I built myself a, a story which is something I normally tell people not to do. But you've got this player who was dominant and produced a lot more of the percentage of yards than he got targets, and then he gets injured, and then when he comes back, he does the opposite. He's barely catching as much as he's being thrown. He's basically just catching what he's given. He's no longer producing over that limit, and not over the limit of successful NFL wide receivers at that age. So that was concerning immediately. Now, I've made a story that it was because of the injury. I don't know if that's the case, which is why when we enter Mike Williams in the NFL, I think I'm right. I think that injury, rightly so, it was a devastating injury to the point they said he probably wouldn't be able to come back on a field. And in fact, in some point, some reports I read from the Times said that he might not be physically good again, as in he might struggle to learn to walk. So what he did in coming back is really impressive. It's even more impressive than his impressive 19-year-old season. I want to emphasize this. I really like Mike Williams. He was a great player. I just worry what that injury did to him. And that was my worry going into his rookie draft. So now we've got the situation you just outlined where targets have freed up. I'm not worried that he hasn't done anything. I am worried that they kept trying to play him and he got injured in a different way. But he got injured again in another way. And I'm sure he's recovered from that. But generally the story I make is a player in this situation needed not to be drafted in the first round. He needed third round draft capital. He needed a team to expect him to need time to develop, heal, learn how to play with whatever was different about his body, and then just 
crack the books in his third year, dominate and become an alpha wide receiver. By being drafted in the first round, the story I make is too much is being expected of him. It's actually required of him because of his draft capital. He's never going to be able to meet that without time to figure that out. Now, that's all of a story. <laughs> so it could be... And that's why I call it experimental. It's not definite, but that's what I think of Mike Williams right now. He's got the talent. He has the physique. He had the athleticism before his injury, so I'm not worried about it. I just don't know if too much is being expected of him too soon, even now, for him to ever really get the space that he needs to figure out how to play his game post-injury. I've got, like, major thoughts on Mike Williams. Because everyone that's for him is like, no, he was good. I'm like, I know he was good. <laughs> I thought he was everyone good. knows he was I good. Exactly. I just worry, and as long as everyone's expecting it of him, that's it almost seems unfair. I'm more be like, be nice to Mike Williams. Like, <laughs> just give him some space, people. <laughs> Let him maybe learn whatever he needs to learn. Trust that his talent will come through. But if we're expecting it, if the team is expecting it, because they've invested heavily in him. Um, anyway, my Those go-to line, receivers go early all the time, though. I mean, even Deion Kane, I think, went too yeah, early. I value draft capital because of that. What the team wants from them and what they're going to give them an opportunity is definitely valuable, but I think it can have that negative effect. Like, they want it. Give it to us. Do it now. And if they can't, then they, they stop getting that opportunity when maybe they could have developed given time, right? So I think there's the inverse effect there. My go-to line on Mike Williams is he is now behind two top 24 wide receivers and a top 12 tight end fighting for targets. I don't think that this small loss in targets that recently happened is going to do enough for him to become like a fantasy-relevant weapon, especially not with all these questions about whether he has come back to full form since that college injury. Right. That's normally how I summarize it, but the rant... Is really how I feel. <laughs> no, we know that. No, we know that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Without a doubt. And I would assume that your answer to this next question is going to be yes. But when it comes to your your hit rate model, how has that has it affected your draft approach? And if so, how how has it how has it affected it? Yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. I hate the name of it. I wish I'd called it something else, but I didn't know it was going to get popular when I wrote it. Yeah, because um, I want to know like what what does that mean? Like what hit rate? Like what does it mean? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And, <laughs> and what I was essentially saying is the percentage of players that hit given these variables. So trying to compare them to past successful NFL players and present successful NFL players based on specific values that I find have a correlation to NFL success. Specifically, the post-draft model factors in draft round, which is the most heavily weighted. It's the most important. And breakout age, which is almost as heavily weighted and um, the age they are in the first season, because it does have that some slight more signal, the difference um, in production by age for every age that they played compared to successful NFL wide receivers, so I've turned that into a single value, uh, and then their college dominator, which is the basically it's the average of their best season and their last season um, in touchdowns and receiving yards, and that's one that's taken directly from player profile. And these are the ones that I found the most correlation to NFL success and so I just stuff them all in a regression model and that's what the hit rate is right it's just to give me a baseline based on these variables that I kind of like in this sea of very unpredictable variables like none of them are very good but these are the ones I, I like the best what does it say about these players compared to past NFL players so it's not really a hit rate it's just a number value to to judge how well they compare to successful NFL players based on those five variables. And that doesn't make a good title. So I just said hit rate. So that, that'd, be, <laughs> that'd be a long name to kind of... Yeah, that, to, would, that, that would be good. Got to no. come up with an acronym or something like that to go with it. Yeah. <laughs> it's how much they have in common based on draft round, breakout age, age in their first season, the difference in production to successful NFL wide receivers, the college dominator, two successful NFL players. And if you come up with a better name, please, please just slide it my way. Because hit rate doesn't just sound misleading. It also sounds arrogant as hell. Like, this is how much they hit. Not quite. I, I do look at what is more of a direct hit rate, like how many players with this player's breakout age have been top 24 wide receivers. That I would consider a pure hit rate. 
Um, but that that's not what this is. <laughs> so that's everybody's homework for tonight, for you folks listening, is to find <laughs> out, give Peter's model a new name, find out go. how you can change his name, and then tweet it at him immediately. And I will retweet oh, every God. last one of those. <laughs> but that's going to be Thank fun. So, I appreciate it. No, I was just going to say, I called my last one the Whippersnapper because it literally focused on the production at ages 18 and 19. So, you know, the Whippersnapper. And I thought that was cool. <laughs> that was, that's a cool so one. I, yeah, I, did, I like that one. No one liked it. Everyone, the article got ignored. No one liked the <laughs> chart. And so I don't think I'm good at naming things is what I'm saying. Because <laughs> even the one I liked didn't do well. So... But yeah. you need All to right. come up with funny, funny metric and model names like Fupa, like Hans Yo. came up with yeah. like, the yeah. other ones. Like, I, don't, I do not have that talent, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, no, I'm terrible at it myself. I can't, I can't do it either. So I'm definitely in the same boat as you. So we'll have to go to the folks and ask them, see if they have any better suggestions, like for a new name for the hit rate model. Uh, but t- building off of that, so some of the other metrics that we've discussed whether it be hit rate, whether it be breakout age, racer, air yards, any of the other stuff that we discussed over the past two episodes, is there anything about those things that could morph into what you would expect in terms of how a how a college player can be used at the NFL level? Um, to answer the question you asked me before, what's changed about the way I draft based on my hit rate model? I'm much more concerned with how likely they are to do anything in the NFL rather than who can be a wide receiver one. To explain that, I'm not looking for the person who's most likely to be Calvin Johnson, Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham, any of the sizes or any of the types of wide receiver one. I'm more interested in who can actually succeed in the NFL. Following Jacob Rickroad and other really great dynasty players closely, one of the things they point out is how few hits there are in any draft cast. We all will overvalue rookie picks and go nuts for it this time of year. But if we get three players out of this draft class that enter the top 24 once, that will be awesome. <laughs> and when you start looking at all these names that I love, and you're like, I get three, maybe, maybe three, <laughs> then it puts it in a different perspective. So I'm not looking for the one who's most likely to be the highest producer. I'm looking for the one that's most likely to produce at all in the NFL. And that's one of the things that's changed with my hit rate model or the way I'm looking at draft capital now. And that's one of the things I say about Christian Kirk. If he's a slot receiver, he's going to be a damn good one. And I will take that hit over all the misses of players that could be wide receiver ones, right? I will take the Sterling Shepard who has a great likelihood, not that those two compare at all, but I will take the, the player who's going to succeed in any role because we're going to actually have very few per draft class who actually succeed. So now to answer this question, <laughs> is Christian Quirk a slot receiver? Well, yeah, that's what he did in college. There's actually wide receivers seem to follow the same roles into the NFL, but there is enough crossover, I guess, that you can never say for sure. Jordan Matthews is my favorite one because he's not only more of a middle-of-the-field slot receiver type in the NFL, and he's a big guy, but in college, he wasn't just an outside receiver. He was literally one of the best outside receivers college football has ever seen at a high level, like in a high-level division. So what happened there, I don't know. You can do the opposite with Golden Tate. Golden Tate was very much an outside receiver until he got to the NFL. And he was actually used outside by a few different teams, but he's found most of his success in the slot. And those are just recent examples. There are these players that do one thing in college and then do another thing very well in the NFL. But as a rule, I I would say that Christian Kirk is most likely to play in the middle of the field. I guess that's an okay way of describing it. Slot receiver is too generic to describe the role, I think. Shorter targets, I definitely think it's fair to expect from Christian Kirk. 100%, yeah. And I think that taking that into context or taking that into account is something that, I guess, drafters, whether it be Dynasty, Redrafter, or what have you, fairly important to kind of understand that, I mean, while we can kind of slot them into these roles as they're coming in, they they do have these ancillary metrics that can, can give us a story or lead us down a path to how they can develop their craft, I guess, they continue in the pros. So now we want to get into the fun part. We want to start talking about some receivers and kind of get your quick thoughts on, on some receivers. And uh, the first one to talk about uh, was uh, the, the new Dallas receiver, Michael Gallup. And 
looking at this offense, I mean, the receiving core that doesn't look too terribly great. You're looking at a receiving core that's going to be featuring Terrence Williams and the rapper known as Cole Beasley. So, okay, have at it. But Alan Hearns is there, so that there is some upside. But, I mean, Michael Gallup seems to be walking into a fairly prominent role. And I don't know if you guys get into uh, best ball leagues as much as, as much as I do, but I've been oh, yeah. seeing folks taking uh, Michael Gallup in like the 13th, 14th round. Uh, he seems to be a fairly popular draft pick nowadays in best ball leagues because they are assuming that he's going to have at least a fairly decent amount of production in his first year. Uh, so, what is about him, or could, what would you say about Michael Gallup that would say that would give you give us some confidence, or I mean, give us some caution? Like, what are your thoughts on him? I was very pro Michael Gallup in the lead up to the draft and him landing on the Cowboys was something I got very excited about, much like you're describing uh, in those best ball leagues, because there's all these targets. There's no clear cut dominant wide receiver other than the wide receiver formerly known as Cole Beasley. So yeah, but the more I work on it and especially at, like you say, where he's being taken, it's starting to look like a bad beat. He's just, I like him. He's a wide receiver with an age 20 breakout season that I actually will uh, argue for a little bit. I wrote a few articles about him because he actually did play before the age of 20, and the reason he's got an age 20 breakout season isn't because that's all he did. It's because his age 18 and 19 season were played outside of the FBS leagues, and so his numbers just don't show up on sportsreference.com, which is the sister site to pro football reference. So... um he was actually dominant. I think his breakout age is actually earlier, and how you value lower division breakouts versus higher division breakouts is kind of an open question. I, I don't have enough data really to draw an answer, but generally I lean if they broke out, that's what the team thought of them. That's what he was able to do for the team, so I still value it. So I think his age 20 breakout season is soft. I don't think that's actually his breakout. Looking at his college numbers at like the community college he was in, he got injured in his last year, but I'm pretty sure he broke out at age 18, if, and if not, it was age 19. So I'm willing to just rub that square clean for Michael Gallup. But as you say, the team did draft him, but they haven't gone out of their way to draft him. They didn't invest a hell of a lot in him. They seem to be just throwing a few very cheap darts at the position, like Alan Hearns. He's, I think they see him on a similar level. It be an open competition. Alan Hearns has more experience in the NFL was an undrafted free agent, someone that was undervalued and I was higher on because of his production. And um, I don't think he's going to be a replacement for Des Bryant. But I think Cole Beasley, despite his booming rap career, is still a really good slot receiver. I think Alan Hearns is more than enough competition for a player that the team probably won't feature like we're hoping he'll feature. I, I think he's overvalued. I think he's good enough to take on that role. I don't think he's going to get the opportunity in this situation. And um, um, while I'm all about buying Dak, because he was the top five dynasty quarterback everyone nuts for, and now everyone hates, and still has the talent, so he's now out of value, I, I can't do it with Dallas, guys. Something has to change. Um, uh, an actual coach, someone with ideas on offense, or just a basic concept of what an offense is meant to look like, I just can't do it with Dallas. And so that, on top of everything else... Uh, I'm I'm starting to move out on Gallup. I still like the player. I still think he has more upside than his raw numbers show. But yeah, I just can't with the situation. Yeah, and as soon as he was drafted to Dallas, he became overvalued and Hearns became undervalued to me because Hearns isn't great. We know that. And he struggled from a lot of injury, but he's also a thousand yard receiver in the NFL. And Gallup was a third round pick. So I don't see how Gallup can be the clear-cut wide receiver one. I will agree that there isn't a clear-cut wide receiver one, but I think that's got to be Hearns until proven otherwise. Now, we yeah, started on Christian. Sorry, Sorry, we man. started on Christian Kirk a little bit already, but what I wanted to add to that discussion is the fact that Kirk is going to have to play out of position. They're not going to move Fitz back to outside, especially since he did so phenomenal in that role in his first year being moved and asked to play in the slot. So Kirk's going to play on the outside. So I feel like Kirk's going to have probably a down first year, probably a down second year if Larry Fitzgerald decides to stay for another year. Maybe they're competitive this year. 
who knows, probably not. But if it stays for another year, we're going to see another year of Christian Kirk on the outside. And to me, this looks a lot like the Nelson Aguilar situation. He played for three years before he went into the slot. Now, all of a sudden, he's a pretty viable option. I think Christian Kirk might be a buy low coming in the future until we get him into that slot role. So I wanted to ask, what have you seen in Christian Kirk, Peter, that you are excited about or maybe cautionary about? Yeah, I really like Christian Kirk, and it's it starts with the fact he's an age 18 breakout and was incredibly productive in the college level. Again, production first, then breakout age, and then you go to draft round, and they drafted him in the second round. That's no small amount of draft capital. So the, the team is definitely trying to invest in the position. They're definitely invested in him. And I think they've done a really good job of scouting this player. He's talented. He was uber productive at every age. He had 29% of the team's receptions just in his first year at age 18 and produced 30% of the team's yards. And again, like we said, this is um, a, a smaller guy coming in at his least developed. He hasn't spent even a year in a college weight room with professional coaches telling him how to get stronger. This is just an 18-year-old who's played football a lot. And I'm not saying he wasn't a fantastic athlete when he came in compared to like a Joe Smone like me, but he definitely wasn't at even college level build or experience. And he dominated them. Like he just dominated that team's production and he dominated the games that he played in. So I really like Christian Kirk and I like everything about him in the situation. The problem is Larry Fitzgerald, especially since I like the fade age is, is gotta be the guy, right? He's, he's, I want to say the best, but it's going to get me into arguments. So he is one of the best wide receivers to play in the NFL full stop. I don't have to put any other caveats on that for me. I think he's fantastic. He's not going anywhere really until he decides he wants to go anywhere. And he doesn't seem like he wants to go anywhere anytime soon. And like we said, Christian Kirk is likely to be in the area of the field that Larry Fitzgerald is goating all over. So I don't know. But that goes back to... I don't care. I want to draft him and then I want to forget I have him. I think he's going to do well in the NFL. I think he's one of the highest likelihoods of actually succeeding in the NFL, even if it's in this particular role we don't typically value, but which is getting increasingly valued by the NFL. I guess the other player on the depth chart who was excited about last year and didn't see hardly any work was um, is Chad Williams. And I guess he Absolutely. would be my candidate yes. to take on some more of that other work, but no one's mentioning him. So if you could just cut that, because I'm really enjoying picking up Chad Williams everywhere right now. Or J.J. Um, Nelson. How do you feel yeah. about J.J. Nelson? Yeah, J.J. Nelson is awesome. He's obviously the player that goes, no, J.J. <laughs> Nelson actually is pretty good. So everybody um, just fast forward through this section of the podcast. Yeah, right. Since Bruce Arians has left, the team's likely to go undergo some changes. And so even J.J. Nelson's role might see some reduction from past years with the dominance of John Brown and J.J. Nelson himself. So we have two players to get into that I can't wait to hear about. I want you to jump in on Richie James and Justin Watson for us. You're very kind. No, these, these are my two terrible names that I asked if I can mention. Yeah, um, Richie James is coming up for me, not because I think he's got a very high life doing anything in the NFL, but um, he's one of the names I'm looking at in like my last round of the of rookie drafts next to Trey Quinn, who's another good pick. And I'm having a hard time deciding between those two and also um, Doris Fountain. And who ended up in the Colts depth chart, which I think is just open for another receiver to get some Absolutely work. Absolutely well. wide open. And one reason I wanted to mention Richie James, though, is because of recently the Philadelphia Eagles were talking about the research they'd done into later Ram receivers that actually hit. And one of the things they'd noticed, which I'd never actually noticed, was wide receivers that are smaller and also wide receivers that get injured in their last year are more likely to be missed by 32 other teams or 31 other teams for five or six rounds. If a wide receiver is six foot two, over 200 pounds, and runs a pretty good 40, you can pretty much guarantee every team's put some time into looking at them. But if he's under six foot and slightly diminutive, maybe didn't run a good 40, and was injured in his last year, there's a good bet that not everyone has done their due diligence on that player. And that was one of the conclusions they reached with their research. And that was just interesting because Richie James like fits perfectly into that mold. You've got this later breakout player, but who was productive 
when he when he finally got it together. Um, and over the average of successful NFL wide receivers at age 20 and on. But then he was injured in his last year. He's slightly small, and he just fits this perfect picture. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on him, but he's someone, as a late-round flyer, I'm, I thought I was on Trey Quinn and Derek Derice Fountain. But Richie James is starting to look kind of interesting at that, uh, at that you know, you can take anyone you want because no one's particularly valued range. <laughs> And, and I didn't hear that bit from the Eagles, so that's very good information. Very um, I would actually have to, yeah, I want to look into that a little bit more, actually, now that you mentioned that, because if the team cared enough to target him late, but similar to the Trey Quinn situation, wanted him earlier than that, just knew that they could get him later, then that's the type of value that you want in those, like, sixth or even some seventh rounds if you have those. And then I want to hear a little bit about Justin Watson as well before we get out of here. The other thing is, uh, just to clarify, Richie James was taken by um, San Francisco, and uh, his production's better than Dante Pettis. Dante Pettis sucks. I'm sorry. He <laughs> sucks. From the things that I'm talking about that look good or have correlations, Dante Pettis, I have no idea what happened. He's going to get targets and probably succeed. This will be my tilt of 2018 because he has never been good. Like His college team didn't think he was good and worthy of more than 20% of targets. A- anyway, we Read my catch report. Rants in there. Justin Watson, on the other hand, is one of four players to actually have 60% in at any age of a team's combined yards and receptions since 2000. And the other names on the list are Des Bryant, Demarius Thomas, and two guys you probably haven't heard of. And to be fair, one of them was drafted in the first round and was injured at the end of his first season. So we really don't know what he ever could have become. And the other one was at least a wide receiver three in the NFL. So Justin Watson and that other one was drafted in the fourth round and Justin Watson was drafted in the fifth. So he is also one of these players in this very elite, very small sample. But that small sample looks really interesting from a fantasy perspective. We have three first round wide receivers, one who was injured, so we never really found out, and two who have been two of the most dominant wide receiver ones we have seen in recent years. And this one who was at least a wide receiver three and was drafted in the fourth round. And for the price you can get Justin Watson, free unless you're in a league with me or Matthew Kelly, I believe is someone from Rotoworld who actually jumped ahead of me in a draft to draft him. So <laughs> unless you're in a draft one of us, you can pretty much get him wherever you want. And I really love the amount of production he's got. He's also really big. He's actually got a full wide receiver one size. He's 74 inches tall. He's 215 pounds. He had a 107 height adjusted speed score. He ran a 4.4940 time. He's this really big, really, really athletic player who is incredibly productive and fits in this elite sample, but small sample size in terms of the levels of production he reached. But he played for an Ivy League school, so no one really knows who he is, but he did get drafted in the fifth round by Tampa Bay. And so I'm kind of excited about what could happen, not in the first or second year. This is a maybe in year three we'll see something player, but he's definitely someone you should look into. Um, if not outright, just go and find him on your waiver wire after you draft. So I guess like with all the hype that you just spewed for Justin Watson, now would I would you take him or Rashad Penny? <laughs> uh, don't make me choose. Uh, I'm just saying. I mean, I'm just, I'm just wondering. You know, if I could maybe just throw you a trade offer or something like that. And uh, if you, you know. throw a decent trade together and then dump Justin Watson on top, I might have to take it. <laughs> but yeah. No, and uh, but also going back to your other point. I mean, that is that is very fascinating in terms of watching teams or at least just one team. Uh, the Eagles waiting on some of the injured players. Uh, that is something I, w- I would love to dig into some more, As also as Adam pointed out, because when it comes to that, finding the value in some of those players I think would be very useful to some teams. Or, I mean, the other way that you'd go about it is that you could just find a wide receiver that looks like they're going to produce well that gets injured and then draft them in the first round like the Bengals. So, okay, that's also, right. that's also something you can do. Yeah, that's also a choice. And yeah, just to underline this point, which I probably don't do enough on my Twitter feed, we're trying to shoot the moon with 
players like this. Like I'm talking about the most likely to succeed in the NFL. That's what you do with your first and second rounds. Outside of that, it's like Wild West for me. I, I, I'm throws. shooting for these. And it's not even just because I want the production. It's because I want to get it right. I want to like wave a Justin Watson banner around and talk about how awesome my market share data is. So, I mean, you're trying to hit an impossible shot from another continent away, blindfolded. Uh, I mean, we're, we're really going for a very small target here. But you can still hedge based on breakout age, based on production. And when they do, these are the names that show up to me. So just to point out, don't go drafting them in the second round <laughs> um, or anything like that. But they're definitely players I think it would be good to go and find more about. Without a doubt. And so you guys have heard it all here tonight. I mean, we discussed breakout age, market share, the hit rate or soon to be named or hit rate model. I mean, all of those things. Yeah, we can only hope. I mean, all those things, I mean, you can find with in some of Peter's work, the wide receiver report, any of his articles on DLF. I mean, got anything else coming up, Peter, that you want the folks to know about tonight? Sure. Um, <laughs> no, I'm actually talking with NFL draft talker Jake Anderson, who I met. We were having that conversation, and he was he, he's really good holding me to my own fire. And so we're thinking about starting a podcast. So, so that might be something we can announce him. <laughs> so are you going to name that, or are you going to let him name it? The the um, working title is Dynasty Crossroads. All right, well, that's that's you know that's easy enough. So yeah, that that's not that bad. All right, so have be on the lookout for on iTunes for Dynasty Crossroads, and then again, we we definitely appreciate you coming back with us tonight, Peter. Again, hopefully we can have you on at some point again during the during the summertime as the season starts to get a little bit closer, drafts start happening a little bit more. We'd love to have you back on the show, man. Yeah, I'd love to come back. Um, hopefully, uh, I'll learn how to succinctly answer your questions instead of making your show run long. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we. I think we, as long as it's packed with information, which is what you've done two weeks in a row, it doesn't matter how long it runs, man. It does not matter at all. So thanks for coming to Episode 9, uh, Part 2 with Peter Howard. And we cannot plug enough ffstatistics.com. It is such an awesome place to go. Since 100%. we had Addison Hayes on two episodes ago, I've been all over that site. And now we've given you another reason to go there, which is to buy Peter's wide receiver catch report so definitely go check that out and definitely go to itunes or on your stitcher like rate review subscribe all those great things we appreciate all that and tune in next week we've got tyler from the f3 pod so it's going to be awesome that's going to be yeah that's going to be another fun podcast so come back next week and uh stick around and uh we'll we'll definitely have some more content with you so thanks again guys and we'll catch you all next week it's automatic dynasty it's automatic